0: Log Talk Radio
1: Welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons, as well as special guest Brian Tamash. How's it going? Hey, John. Good. Hey, uh, remember when we only had like a little bit of unfortunate lacrosse to talk about uh, as of
2: like yesterday afternoon?
1: Yep. We, good uh, times. We're, now, we're, we're in flame cast mode. So uh, <laughs> this is a part where we pretty much just light Syracuse on fire for an hour because I don't I mean, know yesterday what
2: next Yesterday we actually had a conversation about how night today's podcast is going to be after the 44 announcement. And, uh, yeah, so
1: much for that. I mean, Syracuse went and ruined everything. And, and as I said in the post today and for those listening to my, uh, yesterday, um, this just, SU just doesn't know how to let us be happy, uh, and <laughs> enjoy things, or be positive about Syracuse football in any way, shape, or form. Because here we are, back to literally hating everything about the school we went to.
3: But it's okay because it's back from nothing
1: changing at all. Well, well, that that's the problem with the announcement is that you know, you have this. Status has not changed, but it sort of has. But Floyd Little kind of said that it did last year, or two years ago. There's just there's not enough detail within this non-statement that they made today to to shed light. You know, as as we were talking about in the uh, the chat room and that we had internally, and we were all saying on Twitter, you, you know, like it's it's like you did something nice, when you felt the need to explain like, what you did and provide more details. with like we didn't need details. Just, just, you did something nice. Thank you. Now walk away. Like, walk the F away. And now here we are, <laughs> wondering, like, what is going on while we're, again, once, you know, we're mad at Syracuse because they just couldn't shut up for five seconds.
2: All right. So here's the thing is, like, people, they, they did that statement today, and it confused everyone because no one really knew what they were talking about in terms of, like, the status being unchanged from 2013? Well, it might actually go that farther than that, because I remember uh, back when I was uh, in school, at some point during the Marone years, um, Marone had a kind of uh, impromptu uh, recruiting uh, signing day event, although it was, like, two months later, where he talked about all the commits, and it was after a spring football practice. And during that, he said that there was like this whole committee idea where there was like, you know, there was some process to which uh, 44 could come back. And I wrote that and no one seems to really pay attention and then no one, you know, reported on it or anything. And then I think there was that article last year uh, where we kind of heard a little more about how there was a committee. But again, it was so like, it wasn't so official announcement; it was just this thing that was floated out there. So then yesterday seemed like the finally the, the concrete uh evidence that 44 that there's this process that, can, that we can go through and you can you know say the process is stupid or what but at least it was there so today i think if i'm if i'm doing it way too much uh, benefit of the doubt it i think maybe one side you know thought this thing was in place and assume that people knew more about it and just didn't realize that the word hadn't gotten out about the committee and all the other things um the worst case scenario is, and I just floated this in our internal chat. I honestly don't think athletics told the greater university what it was doing.
1: And shouldn't that scare us even more? That like all the yeah. things that we that we regularly think about this this institution that that maybe it's not even, you know, I think we thought it was a gross problem, and then gross leaves,
2: and well, then we thought going, it was sure. okay.
1: It's, well, right, and we thought okay, it's an athletics problem but if they just decide to do this without the blessing of the university, no, then, then this becomes, this is a university wide <laughs> issue and, and, and not to link it to any of the sanctions or anything, but it does seem to be that, that in the last 10 years or so, there was just this, this just constant state of, of, of tumultuousness and, and constant state of, well, he told me this, so I did this and he didn't tell me this, but I did this anyway. Like, there's there's just a million people to pass the buck to, and I doubt anyone comes forward to say like this is what actually happened. Well, yeah. Well, to
3: me, it's I think it's just a cowardice thing, and that they put something out there that you presume as a fan and as an alum that they talked this over internally and they weighed out pros and cons and they figured, well, here's all the reasons this is good. Here's all the reasons that this could backfire, and then eventually they came to a decision that it was worth moving forward with. And ultimately, I think most of us see that as, you know, actually the right decision. Most fans seem pretty happy with it. a small minority, uh, Don McNabb being the most vocal of all of them, but a pretty small minority that have a problem with this. But then they heard, it seemed to us, you know, that they heard a couple of people start talking about how they weren't happy with it, and it seemed like they were almost, surprised by this information that anyone would have a problem with it and then immediately want to go cover their butts on both sides, which just says, like, if you're going to make a move like this, like, actually stand by it. It's just so disappointing to see them kind of backtrack and you see them say, you, you tweet out the it's back thing and you make it seem like it's this big thing, but then today you're saying, no, no, it's never been a big thing and those two things just don't line up at all and it just looks like total covering at this point.
2: I think that's 100% right. And I think yesterday, like, I'd say 95% of Syracuse fans were either, like, apathetic and, and were fine with it or were rejoic- rejoicing about the official announcement that of 44 was back in the rotation. And honestly, the only two dissenting voices, aside from maybe a couple, like, Twitter dissenters that, you know, complain about everything, were Bud Polifin, who, in all due respect, who cares, and Donovan Deb who we should care, but he shouldn't have so much clout that he outweighs Floyd Little and Jim Brown, who both wore the number and who both were way more directly involved with this whole process. I know Donovan was on the board of trustees, and maybe he didn't get told, and maybe he was a little offended by that, but still, like Donovan, yeah, maybe he should have his input, uh, you know, he should have his input into the football matters. He's an important person for the university, but one person or a couple people in the back room shouldn't – uh, outdo something that, like, the vast super majority of Syracuse fans were ecstatic about.
3: Yeah, and, and somebody has to, along the way, say, like, we can't please everybody. Um, whatever we do, whether we retire it or unretire it or leave it alone or burn it in the rafters, like, no one's going to be happy with every single bit of this decision. So either make a decision or don't. Like, don't just try to please everyone because you're going to fail. You're going to displease everyone like they seem to be doing right
1: now. Well, at this point, I think they have egg on their face. No matter what happens, um, it, it, it's become this sort of—you know—again, it, it went from something really happy and really awesome to something that now, no matter how it ends, um, it, it's gonna—it's gonna look like the university screwed up again. Somebody's going to have to take the fall, or at least who's gonna? It, or or we just end up with a usual of no explanation or anything, similar to like what happened with the Penn State game—that just Vanished off the calendar, like all these things that, um, you know, typically occur within SU will just happen again. We'll all sit there and shrug and, and just have to accept that the, that is the cost of doing business. Um, I, what, what yeah. I don't seem to understand is like when it comes to, to McNabb, um, as a former player, he's allowed to speak his mind. Um, and, and I don't think that, uh, that should be taken away from him at all. And I think if it was, you know, if Rob Little is you know if, if uh sorry rob conrad did something or if, um you know even someone like larry zanka or, or anybody like that i mean especially conrad though, was someone who wore 44 himself if somebody like that had said something that they were unhappy about it um fine but the fact that McNabb is a uh, a board of trustees member is what irks me because uh, at that point and i think he's been a professional long enough to understand this is like you do kind of have to couch your uh, your criticisms and you do kind of have to couch just your general statements about the university athletic program because at the end of the day, you're representative of it and you have to kind of support those decisions because the assumption is that, you know, they were made with you in mind or you with direct part of it. Now, obviously, that wasn't the case here, but you kind of had to play the part and he didn't in any way.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and you know what's kind of funny about this whole thing is uh, yesterday I was, you know, all excited about it. It was great. Yesterday was kind of nice, you know, kind of made you forget about the current state of the program in a lot of ways. Today, I remember I said to a friend of mine today, I was like, you know what, that was fun yesterday. I'm kind of over it and it's over. And then, you know, even, even someone who cares about it, I'm totally over it by today. Um, and then they just bring this up and make us all look kind of weird and dumb. And it's just like it's they made it a big deal at the end of the day. And you're right, McNabb makes it a big deal because he's a board of trustee. The school makes it a big deal by talking about it. Like, just let it be at this point. Let the fans have their moment. <clears throat> let the fans who are upset be upset. And let's move on, and then we can start talking about the football team again.
2: Yeah, I'm, con- I'm convinced that McNabb is the one who put this into uh, – that made it a controversy. And, it, you know, it's not totally his fault. Like, it was his speaking out. He probably should have maybe talked to the university first, considering he is a, a member of the board and he is such a high-profile person. But, you know, most people covered these 44 things and put an article up or cut to the AP report. But way more people did it um, after McNabb spoke out, and that, that's the, the – on with, uh, pardon the interruption today, or on you know, made it sound like we were Nazis. Uh, and Oldman apparently also did, uh, you know, hit us with his whole like shit and didn't think it was right, because none of those guys understand the, the tradition. Um, but even even if so, even if, if all that stuff happens, it's out of the news tomorrow, and then seriously fans are the only ones who care past that, uh, and we're all happy. So it's just, I think, I think It was a panic move by the university to put out that really unfortunate statement. That made no sense. It just – I don't know. We we talk so much. We make fun of SQ, especially undergrowth, for all of their buzzwords and everything. But this whole situation just screams like uh, a whole organization that has no synergy whatsoever. And you can make fun of that word, but I wish there was – SQ was a little more synergistic right now.
3: Yeah, and do you guys think, I mean, don't you think that that has to do with the fact that there's no athletic director right now? There's nobody in charge of that? Not that Gross would have done a better job based on his track record, but, um, you know, there really is nobody who's in charge of running this. you got to wonder who made the decision, who sat everyone down in the room, who, you know, led whatever you would think there would be some sort of group of people figuring this out. Um, you know, as far as I know, there's no one who is in charge of that or at least no one who – you know, would take the blame or, you know, take the heat. And that's that's a problem when something like this happens. You need someone to stand up and defend the decision. There doesn't seem to be somebody that would do that right now.
1: I would agree. So I guess where do we go from here? Um, <laughs> and I guess, I guess that's the, the problem facing all of us now, and it's one that we're going to probably have to, uh, dissect a bit on the blog tomorrow. Um, seems like Sean is already ready and raring to go
2: um,
1: on that front.
2: But I mean, it goes, it, it goes
1: pitchfork sharp and ready to go, which is fun. And, and, and to be honest, like I, I think that the university needs to be held accountable here. Obviously, Syracuse.com, their hands are tied a little bit um, in terms of what they can do on that front. For us, not as much, um, which is why I, I, I think. Folks, folks who want to criticize the athletic department and the university a little bit are going to enjoy um, everything tomorrow or flesh today, depending on what you're listening. Um, but, Dan, we'll start with you. Uh, where do we go next? What do you see happening in the next week um, to either resolve or push this issue aside or, or at least spell out the way forward
2: 44? Or do you
1: see it just hanging in limbo until it leaves a new cycle?
2: Um, I think they could just not do anything, and that might not be the worst thing considering what happened today. Uh, I think what they should do is – and maybe this isn't even – maybe they don't even have the process thought to start through. Get Floyd, get Dallas, get someone from university, hammer out the process of the 2044, and just make a very clear statement of this is what the jersey number is right now. You can say it's still retired. You can say it's only going to extraordinary athletes, which honestly is no different than what it was before it was retired. There were only 44s like once or twice a decade. And I think that's the way it should be. I don't think it should just go to the best running back every year or, you know, a pretty decent guy. I think it should be either a uh, recruit who is like Robert Washington, who seems to be a standout player or, if you want to give it to a junior or senior who's been great, that's fine with me. I know some people feel differently. But just – they need to put forth a clear message, and that would just make everything okay. Because obviously, there is a structure in which a surgery player from row 44. Um, the statement today didn't really say there wasn't. It just put a lot of mud over the whole issue. Um, just clarify it. Just say, hey, these are the grads. This is what we're looking at. Um, it's pretty similar to how – the guys between Little and Conrad got it, and everyone liked that, and that's cool. So here we go. But instead, they put out this really muddled, panicked kind of statement. I, I just think they need to clarify again, unfortunately. But just be confident about it and just have some details and some, just, you know, get people back excited about this thing. This is such a good thing they did yesterday, and it's been an awful year for Pierre Sport. And this is like a win that we could kind of put on the board to head into the fall and 2015 15 year. Uh, just just
1: that wind back on the board somehow and, and and
3: figure it out. Brian, how about yourself? Yeah, I uh well Dan, I I like all of what you just said and I think that would all be great. Unfortunately, I don't think that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> I uh I tend to think that they're gonna let this fade away a little bit over the news cycle. Um there's going to be a new athletic director at some point, presumably. And that'll be the question that he or she will be left to answer. And that'll be very interesting to see how that person answers that question and figures it out. The, like you said, Dan, it's not going to, it's not going to go to anyone right now. No one on this roster coming up is going to be deserving of 44. There's no veteran running back. That's a fit for it. There's no recruit running back who's a hot enough recruit, even though Strickland was talking about it on Twitter. I don't assume that he would be given it as a freshman as much as he would have the opportunity to earn it later. Um, so it's not going to be an issue for 2015. So I think they're going to sidestep it a lot. And then when the new athletic director gets involved, they'll hopefully put together some sort of plan. Hopefully there'll be a little bit more leadership up at the top and someone who's willing to actually take a stand here. Um Yeah, I think we're going to be pretty disappointed if we're looking for any sort of resolution right now. I think it's going to be more longer term here, probably something that we talk about all through the fall, but get nothing, and then hopefully get something figured out by 2016 with Robert Washington coming and hopefully
1: still coming at that point. I think that's fair. Um, Now, do you guys think even if, like... Even if we decide to, like, go a different path here and, and maybe embrace what, what it seemed like was spelled out yesterday, um, do you guys think that, that Strickland could potentially get it beforehand, especially when, when Washington seemed to be in the um, wait-till-you-earn-it camp as well? Or do you think at this point, you know, all bets are off and who the hell knows what happens? Well, I think,
3: not to jump in here, but I think I think Strickland's in the earn-it camp. I mean, he's not a hot enough recruit coming in to just be given it to him um, by anything. I mean, he seems like he could be a very good recruit, but um, I would be pretty sure that they didn't guarantee him that. Um, so he'd be in the it camp. So if he comes in there as a freshman and dominates, um, then maybe they're willing to think about giving it to him a little bit earlier. But I don't think they would just give it to him as a freshman and then take it off the table for Robert Washington without ever seeing him play it down.
2: Yeah, I think barring a weird situation where he comes in and rushes for like 1,700 yards as a freshman, I just don't see it going to him. I think Washington's so tied up in it. And, it's, you know, it's fair or unfair, but I mean, this is kind of the way it's been in the past. And I sort of about really used to the process, and it's a little different now because of social media because we're more aware of how these recruitments go. Um, I, as I said, like, I'm not someone who thinks it can only go to freshmen. Um, I do think there's some value in that, and you know, we only, only Robert Washington and Scott Schaefer and the coaches know what was promised or what wasn't. I think you should honor those things, because Washington has a chance to help you know, recruiting so much, and Strickland's going to come. So, unless Washington, like, decides, you know, say Dante Cripplin comes in and just lights the world on fire this season, uh, and Washington decides the right thing to do is, like, to just be cool about it, and they want to do it to not hit, that's fine, but I, I hope that it's. It, uh, I hope there's no promises broken the first time we're giving this out, and then we can tie it into a rhythm. Um, <laughs> so that that would be a bad thing. But overall, yeah. I think I, if yeah. I'm was like Robert Washington
1: will be the next 44. Yeah,
3: and you know what? You know what's great about this, though. Regardless of where it actually goes, um, it's exciting to know that these kids want 44. Uh, remember, a few years ago, everyone wanted Jerome Smith to have 44, and I think you know, having it be pulled out of the rafters for you, um, is a whole nother level of pressure that he clearly didn't want. And I can understand why he wouldn't want that. But if it is now available, like, you know, we were led to believe yesterday and I I still believe regardless of the muddled statement, I, I think that's what's actually happened here. If it is readily available for them, then they can just earn it and you don't have to like physically take it out of the rafters, you know, or emotionally or whatever. um, I think it's a little bit more attainable for these kids, and it's something that they clearly want. Strickland seems to want it. Washington seems to want it. Um, you know, And that's a great thing for us because it gives us the chance to let them go earn it on the field or let them fight for it or whatever they have to do, and and, and it's not a burden. It's something that is an actual honor for them, which is great. It's a good recruiting tool. It's a good inspirational tool for the players when they're actually on there,
2: and uh, I think that's all positive. I, I agree. I think it's great that – for years, like, and, and the 444 thing is, like, it really gained a lot of traction in the last year or two, but it's been going on since I got to campus in 08, and probably before, probably, probably been going on since November 12, 2005, when I was retired. Um, I always thought there was a chance that there'd be, like, a guy who would respect the tradition, but I thought it would be more of a rare thing. Uh, clearly, I think the Express has a lot to do with it, because... Uh, you know, people can criticize the movie, it, you know, it is what it is. But it got the story of Ernie Davis out there uh, because it was on HBO like every weekend for three years. Um, so people know who that is now and people understand 44, understand the tradition of how it was passed from Brown to Davis to Little. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this about young athletes. They love sports movies. <laughs> and clearly this got that tradition into the minds of some running backs. And not just like one or, uh, one or two. We've heard the Melvin Jordan stories, which, you know, I probably wouldn't have ever come here, but he at least acknowledged the tradition during his recruitment. Um, and now we have two kids who are going to be on the team in the next two years, hopefully, that both, you know, have acknowledged 44 as a part of their recruitment, even if it's not the deciding factor that, like you said, it's exciting that um, something that the more central SU fans probably saw, Oh, you know, they'll never care about this. This is the ancient history. Clearly a couple kids do care about it and odds are, if those kids care about it, other ones will find reason to care about it. I don't I think I probably even underestimated what kind of tool to be in recruiting. Um and it's definitely alive. It's it's a thing now. And that's that's pretty cool. And that's why we need to make sure we get it right.
1: True indeed. Um yeah, I think the one thing that we need to you know keep in mind is that you know, players really are paying attention. They're paying attention to all this nonsense, too, to be honest. Um, and, and that's what worries me. I, I think that it's very clear that 44 um, is a recruiting tool. It's very clear that, you know, 44 can help elevate the talent that comes into uh, the program, um, first through maybe the running backs that come in the door and then others. Um, it's also a reminder that, you know, 44 wasn't just for running backs. Um Plenty of non-running backs have worn it. Most recently, a non-running back wore it, um, and, and it's it's confusing to me now why anyone, especially McNabb, um, who would stand to personally, professionally, um, benefit from his alma mater being good at football again, Um it, it does seem weird to me that that him and others would would want the school to uh, to not use uh, its greatest recruiting tool to to its full advantage, considering. Um, while with Washington, we we're going up against some heavy hitters um, in terms of talent. Uh, more often than not, we're going to be going up against a lot of other schools in Northeast, the Midwest, uh, maybe some Mid Atlantic schools um, in the ACC. And there aren't a lot of there aren't a whole lot of ACC schools that can really um, throw the type of tradition and and something like that with, with reverence um, off as a tool uh, like we can. I think that it, it's, ex- it's extremely extremely foolish uh, for anyone. Um to, to look past that.
2: Yeah, I, I was earlier this uh this morning or this afternoon, uh when I got to work, I was browsing uh the college football thing on Reddit and I put it on Twitter. Uh there was this like random they had a link to the Syracuse.com story from yesterday but the all the nonsense of net big and there was this little, like, back and forth between a bunch of, like, non-SU fans. There was, like, a Kansas State fan and, like, a UNLV fan or something. And they were just talking about how cool this thing was that they didn't really know about. And so I was just going sort of, like, yeah, if uh, Ernie Davis, Jim Brown, and Floyd Little Wall Award in a row, like, not a lot of college football traditions can top that. And while San fans might think they're being homers when they say that, like, that's true. Those are three remarkable players. And they all wore it in a pretty short time frame. And that's why... I think people are missing the point when they say she's kept off the field. I think Sean made a great point in his quote about it uh, this morning. Um, If it should have been retired, it should have been retired after Jim Brown and Arnie should have never worn it. So when when Arnie won the national championship, won the Heisman, the whole, like, this should be put in the rafters and kept, you know, sealed away forever, that was out the window. So um, I think hopefully we get past this little speed bump and it becomes another thing where it becomes a major building block for Syracuse becoming a nationally relevant program again because um, one of the things we are lacking is tradition, and 44 is it, and it touches every other thing that Syracuse does, the phone numbers, the zip code, everything else. So uh, this is why I think people are getting so fired up about it because we know that there's great potential for Syracuse to bounce back. And today seemed to uh, put a, a, you know, take a shot at that uh that ability for us to get back to
1: where we want to be, or at least one. I would agree, and I think that wraps us up on on forty four talk. Uh, so we get to halftime, unless you guys had anything else you wanted to close with. I know that it's a, it's a thrilling topic, but it's one that, that I do feel like we can suffer from some burnout from. Um, so if that's all we have on forty four, I think we can move on to more pleasant things like beer. <laughs>
2: Uh, I'm good. Yeah, sure. Perfect.
1: So, Brian is a uh, is a newcomer. I'm sure you are aware, however, that we do talk about beer here on the blog. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, what have you been drinking lately?
3: What have I been drinking lately? Well, uh, I've been drinking a lot of DC Brow lately. Uh, living down here in the DC area, it's pretty. Pretty common around here. Um, been going for the public ale a lot. It's been enjoyable for the pre summer as it is right now. Won't call it spring because it's been like 85,
1: 90 degrees here. Fun, fun. We have not gotten that hot lately out here. But Actually, well, in Santa Monica, it never happens like that. But even downtown has actually been kind of in the uh, the mid to well, probably mid-60s low 70s. I'm sure we'll... We'll be in the 80 to 90 range very soon. But Dan, how about yourself? What have you been uh, enjoying since we had a week off while I was on vacation?
2: Uh, I have a pretty good list. Um, I had some Honey Spot Road White IPA uh, from two roads up in Stratford, Connecticut. Um, for whatever reason, you can't find two roads as easily in New York City as you think you would, but I, I got some. Uh, one of my favorite breweries, um, and probably my favorite beer from them, uh, is a really nice, you know, fully flavored, It uh, has that hot profile, but also kind of the more citrusy flavors from uh, the, you know, the white part of the equation. So definitely look out for that if you're in the greater Connecticut area, hopefully a couple places in NYC, you can find it a little more often. Um, I had curmudgeon ale from Founders, uh, really heavy uh, lots of like that molasses sweet flavor uh, from them. Always a good one. Um, I tried to have Ignis Fattooth that you sent me on, which is really nice. Uh, didn't really expect it to be what it was. Um, super full uh, full flavored. Obviously, probably a little different than if I had it back in the fall, but I did say like, you know, it, it probably could eat fairly well, and I thought it did. Um, yeah. And I don't really mind drinking many beers out of season. And then uh, Bell's Two Hearted—I had one of those last night. Always a good one, and it's like everywhere now, so it's a good joke too.
1: Nice, glad you like the beer. It's, uh, it's definitely a good one when it came out. I know I probably—I waited on it a little bit, and I did feel like um, I wish I would have done a side by side with that and uh, and their Autumn Maple that the brewery makes. I, I think that would have provided at least an a interesting uh, comparison, but maybe I'll do that this year now that you mentioned that beer. But yeah, so uh, things that I've drank. So I was on vacation. I did a lot of drinking. That's
2: one
1: of those. Yeah. Well, I mean, when don't I do a lot of drinking, to be honest? But that's my own problem. Uh, some uh, good things I had. Uh, when I was in Chicago, had some uh, Revolution Brewing uh, Anti Hero IPA. Uh, great, great one to start the trip off, um, right in my eyes. Um, of course, I grabbed some zombie dust and three Floyds um, because why wouldn't you? Be going through untapped, a lot of things. I uh, had, oh, I stopped over at Maproom, which is uh, arguably the best beer bar in uh, Chicago. Uh, got to try out, uh, against the grains, Bo and Luke. That's a really, really, really good, um, bourbon barrel aged stout. And man, like I've heard very good things and I'm very glad I got to chase it down because it was delicious. Um, also had a lot of other things from Three Floyds. Uh, let's see. No, I, was I actually stopped at Three Floyds, uh, while driving on my way down to Louisville, uh, Got to check out uh, Gumball Head, which I've had before, um, as well as Yum Yum, which was absolutely delicious. Um, Alpha King uh, and then Battle Priest, which was a like, kind of Belgian pale ale that I hadn't had before from them. Um, it's really only bottled locally, but it was a really enjoyable one. Um, also just randomly found, uh, found KBS sitting in the fridge at a uh, bourbon and whiskey bar in Louisville, which I was really excited about. Uh, yeah, how was, the, uh, how was the bourbon down there? It was very good. I uh, tried a few. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely like, it. I don't have any app to write those things down, which I probably should find one. Because with Untapped, it's so much easier to recall beers um, when you have them checked into. But yeah, definitely recommend the bourbon scene down there. It is uh, the place I went to for those who end up in Louisville uh, for this year's game or anything else. Um, Haymarket uh, Whiskey Bar uh, is a pretty good spot. Uh, it's not over by Louisville campus, but it's like less than a mile away from the Yum Center. Um, so, just as a heads up for folks, uh, some other things. And again, usually the list is not this long, but I want to make sure I covered all bases. Um, got the trash and stuff from Good People Brewing Company down in Alabama. Um, their stuff gets up to Nashville because Nashville is not like a really strong uh, local beer scene. so. Good people kind of serves as like their, their default uh, great stuff. Uh, so I got to have both uh, their IPA and their Snake Handler double IPA uh, while I was watching uh, the terrifying Game 7 for the Rangers last week. Uh, luckily, it calmed nerves a little bit. And That was really it. Um, we had some other stuff, but like some stuff I've had before. It was... Definitely, I definitely made sure to try some of the, the local national brews, but I think that that scene just has a little bit of ways to go. Uh, Louisville one does too, really, um, other than against the grain, which is excellent. Um, you know, I guess, and I'm in a market too that that's really grown. Um, but those two in particular um, probably have a little bit more ways to go just because, you know, they're very whiskey and bourbon focused, uh, respectively. Uh, there's just there's so much interest in those things that it becomes and plus when you get enough beers from elsewhere I mean a lot of the places get stuff from everywhere from Stone and uh, Dallas Point and Founders and Bell's and, and lots of other spots so if you're them like it it does become a bit of an uphill battle but you never know it seems like there's a new brewery popping up every day. But moving on from beer, Uh Brian, the primary reason you're here uh, <coughs> to chat through uh, what the hell happened uh, to Syracuse lacrosse, and uh, I, but that, but, uh, but unfortunately, we don't. So, so I guess if you will, give me the kind of long and short of of, of what you witnessed in the uh, in the one ball loss to Hopkins. Yeah, uh, you know,
3: it was weird when. A friend of mine asked me shortly after, you know, I mean, I'm sure you guys all know, people that are aware of lacrosse scores but don't typically watch lacrosse games, he said, you know, what the hell happened, same thing as well. You couldn't really put your finger on one thing, not like some of the previous losses where they lost a lot of face-offs or, you know, made some really terrible decisions. I mean, they got beat by a better team on Sunday, which was weird and kind of unexpected um you know you can you can point the finger at the defense they gave up a ton of goals they you know were doing a really poor job of off-ball defense which had really become a problem in the second half of the season something that the tv guys had pointed out the last few games in particular the off-ball defense was terrible a lot of standing around a lot of ball watching um hopkins was kind of getting free to the goal very frequently and Actually, Bobby Wardwell played a tremendous game. He made some huge saves, um, but they just kept coming at him and coming at him, and, you know, he did let in some goals. You know, you saw another pretty great offensive performance. Ben Williams played pretty well. They just they ran into a team that was better than them. Um, and I would not have said that about Hopkins a month and a half ago. They really got going in the second half of the season. They almost didn't even make the tournament, made a run in the Big Ten tournament to win that championship. They're scoring a ton of goals right now. They're going to go play Maryland. And honestly, I think they're going to beat Maryland. And it's going to be very upsetting to see them in a national title game if they get there. They could they could go all the way, which is almost like a, a UConn-esque run uh, for lacrosse right now. But, you know, it's it, you can't put your finger on any one thing. And Syracuse didn't play it's worst game ever. They played a mediocre to above average game and they ran into a team that played a a much better game.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's what, that's what frustrates a lot of Syracuse fans. I mean, for those who, while I do follow the team, I'm obviously not as close as you. And I would say probably not as close as Dan does. Um, I, I do watch and I did see some things starting to, Starting to worry. Um, I mean, again, I- I'm not, I'm not dissecting it with, with, with the same surgical knife that, that you were, um, by any means. But I-, I definitely noticed some things here and there that started to be worrisome. And then obviously, uh, things kind of blew up against Hopkins, the team that I think we all looked at uh, as soon as the brackets came out as problematic, uh, both because of the rivalry, the familiarity since we played them already. In general, we shouldn't have been a two seed. That's a whole nother argument. Um, Dan, how about you? Uh, Obviously, like Brian gave us good synopsis of what happened, um, but but how do you view this season um, in terms of of recent uh, SU lacrosse uh, seasons? Is it utterly disappointing? Is it successful because of how good of a regular season it was? Is it somewhere in the middle?
2: I'd like to go, and I'm just going to totally hedge, so apologies to all the uh, people in for hot takes. Um, I wouldn't say – I wouldn't go out and say successful. I think it was a, a, a really good regular season, which you can pretty much pencil in every year for series. Use. That's why I try not to get too worried when these things happen. Um, it wasn't an out-and-out disaster like some of the first-round losses where you can kind of pinpoint why they happened, um, and they weren't because – they lost to, like, a more complete program. But I'm not going to go and call the season, like, an abject failure uh, either because the sports evolve, and we talk about this all the time, the sports evolving, you can't just, you know, tell, someone, uh, tell Syracuse fans that they're going to go to Memorial Day weekend and just, you know, they'll be okay with it. Like, you're going to have to be some good teams. And Hopkins, I think that UConn comparison isn't is one I had thought of, but it's super apt. Um they're a a name program. They haven't been all that good recently, but like that team that played, like they were no joke on, uh, last weekend, they beat Syracuse in a straight up game lacrosse. And you can complain about some of the ref calls. You can complain about, uh, you know, pulling Mm -hmm. Wardwell in that moment, which, you know, I I know some people complained about, but the announcers were like asking when that was going to happen. And it happened when they said, so obviously it wasn't like the craziest thing ever. Um, but, like, it wasn't like Hopkins just dominated the, the dot and, you know, put Syracuse in this really awful situation where they had to score every time they had the ball. Syracuse did great at the X. They played good offense. The defense was shaky, but it had been shaky down the stretch all year. Uh, Hopkins, like, like you said, Brian, just a better team last weekend. And um, I guess I'd sign for that over losing because of a significant flaw like in that Bryant game. But... Uh, it doesn't really feel all that much better, especially because it is a good arrival.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. and um, I wish you hadn't brought up the Brian team because now I'm having flashbacks <laughs> <to> that. <laughs> so I, I guess Brian, why don't you start us off here? Uh, where do things go from here? Um, you know, kind of, how do we define Kevin Rice's legacy? Um, and then, do we have to start resetting expectations um, for this fan base, which kind of demands a championship every single season? Yeah,
3: yeah. That's a, a lot to unpack there. I mean, to the to kind of original point of, of the season as a whole, I mean, it was a tremendous regular season. It was one of the most enjoyable regular seasons I can remember as a Syracuse fan. Because, This seemed like such a balanced team, such a good team. And, um, you know, ultimately, it wasn't quite as balanced as we thought. There were some warning signs about defense that I know I ignored a little bit um, that came back to bite them in the end, but it was still a very good team. And, you know, thinking about Kevin Rice, his legacy, it's tough because the bar is just set so high. And when you think about the great attackmen to come through Syracuse, there's so many to name. And most of them, probably just about all of them, have won a national title. And a lot of them led their team to a national title. So the weird thing about Kevin Rice is he he never came up short for this team. He played fantastically in pretty much all the games they were eliminated in, in the three years that he was a, a real starter for them. you know, He played great in the Duke National Championship game. He, I believe, was a team leader in points against Bryant. He was, you know, one of the best players on the field on Sunday against Hopkins. So it's not like he came up short and because of that his team fell short. He always, you know, played to his best up until the very end. He was leading them down the stretch at the end as well. Um, So ultimately, I think his legacy will be somewhat of a cross between you know, a Kenny Nims and a Jojo Morasco. Jojo Morasco also didn't win a national title, but, you know, was a leader of a great team that came very close. And Rice was a huge part of that team that almost won the title against Duke a few years ago if they just had a face-off guy. Um, you know, and I think ultimately we're going to remember him fondly um, because, like you're saying, the, the the game has changed. And we do have to change our standards a little bit, not in that championship is not still the ultimate goal that's not changing we're still going to look at final fours as something that we expect every year and we're still going to look at national titles at the same level they're not going to be any harder the difference to me now is every single game to get there just becomes so much harder and it it wasn't just Syracuse this year that struggled you know looking at the way the game's changed over the last few years I think over the last six years the seeded teams have gone, I believe it was 33 and 15. So they're only in the first round. And so they're only winning about two-thirds of the first-round games, which is a huge turn on what it used to be where the seeded teams would win something like six, seven out of eight, usually seven out of eight of the games, if not more, would go to the seeded teams. It's because this lower level, they're still not breaking through and winning championships, but they're winning games. And you see Ohio State crush Duke at home, and then go out to a seven-goal lead against Denver, who ended up coming back to win. But still, you end up seeing you know North Carolina lose to Maryland and not look good doing it. You see Notre Dame struggle against them, and then you know have to fight as well. There's just no anymore. Just cruise anymore. you used to in with pretty much no problems, and that's not, not going to be the case anymore. And so it just means that you can't play a mediocre game in the NCAA tournament and expect to advance anymore. So it significantly increases the degree of difficulty. That being said, we should still expect Syracuse to win national titles because they recruit the best talent. They almost always have, if not the most talent on the field, maybe the second or third most in the country, and they should get there. But it's just going to be harder for them to do it, and we shouldn't be surprised. When every now and then they get knocked out in the quarterfinals or the first round too, because the level of competition has gone up so much, and it's it's just making life so much more difficult for them.
2: Yeah, and I think. What do you think? I I agree with that. I think that's all really you know a lot of strong points. Sergio um, Sanchez seem to have had a really tough time recalibrating too. Um, how the sport is now. And I agree. I think Syracuse is still a strong enough program. Like, there have only been a couple down seasons where they haven't looked like a national championship contender throughout the year, Um, and they still make the tournament almost every time. But I I don't think Syracuse fans should feel like they can't be such a contender every season. I think they have been for the most part. I just think that believing that the school should win every national championship is, is out the window. Um, and winning one every three or four years, I think, is a pretty solid idea of where uh, things will probably end up uh, being if Syracuse wants to maintain its status as a top program. But I don't think on a, a single-season basis there should ever be a year where Syracuse doesn't uh, feel like a national championship contender. So, I don't know, I think people get kind of upset when you tell them that the sport's evolving and Syracuse isn't going to – wins three titles in a row, but they're, they're, it's, that makes them feel like you're saying Syracuse shouldn't ever win again. It's somewhere in between. Like, they're still going to be a top program, but like look at Duke basketball. They win a lot, but they win, what, every five years? Uh, maybe it's a couple of them are closer, but then they go a with that one. Obviously, lacrosse and basketball aren't on the same level yet, but it's moving in that direction. So if you're in the hunt every season, and Syracuse has been, um, even when they've had fatal flaws, I think that's about the most you can ask for and then uh you ca- I mean it's a single elimination tournament so stuff's going to happen um so I have no doubt the series is going to break through again soon uh maybe it won't be next year because there's a lot but nothing I've seen says that the program is you know dead in terms of being a national champion it just hasn't worked out for six years now but they're right there every year um so Hopefully they break through again and people can stop calling for Desto's head and everything. I do think there are <laughs> criticisms, but um, the guy has won a lot. And he's won – his winning percentage has been pretty consistent to where it was when they were winning national titles pretty consistently. So I, I think the program needs to you know do a couple things better here and there, but it's not like it's one that's fallen off the map. Uh, Hopkins have fallen off the map in, like, far worse fashion. Uh, than Syracuse had. They hadn't really been nationally relevant until like two weeks ago for what, five, six, five years? So, and they yeah. haven't beaten Syracuse in what, uh, I think since 08? I might be wrong on that, but I think that's what I saw. So, you know, Syracuse can pretend like it has to be immune to the development of the game, but no one else has been. Uh, a couple other programs have, have risen with the tide, like Duke. But SC has been pretty good. So, I'm not going to get too worried. It was a disappointing loss, but We've seen what happens in one-off tournaments uh, in every sport, um, but overall, I think the program is, is in pretty a pretty decent place.
3: Yeah, and, and you mentioned not falling off and kind of like Duke basketball. The thing, the teams like Duke basketball, what they're so successful at, and you know Syracuse had a brief run there for a little while too, is they're always up there among the title contenders. That doesn't guarantee you're going to win, but it gets you in the conversation. They're, like, top three seed every year. You go know, to Syracuse lacrosse since 2008. They've been a one or a two seed in every tournament but one. So the, like, rush to talk about the decline, the demise of Syracuse lacrosse is mature. Because what's going to happen next year is they're going to lose a lot of talent. They're going to replace it with a lot of other talent, guys that we're not talking about yet, guys who are on the bench, recruits that are coming in. There's a really decent chance they're going to be a top two seed next year. Now, that might be a little optimistic. Maybe they're more of like a three or a four seed or something. But the point is they're always going to be there. And their down years at this point are still probably making the tournament, still potentially being a seeded team you know, always having a chance to go out there and, and win the whole thing. It's just, like you said, it's a single-loss elimination tournament. You run into a team, you run into a hot goalie. We talked about the face-off. Ultimately, the goalie is Bryant. And, and like hockey, you run into the hot goalie sometimes. If it's just one game, sometimes it just doesn't matter. And you play a bad game, you get outplayed by someone. It happens all the time. So um, the other thing to keep in mind, the three kind of big – NCAA tournament losses we've had in the last few years. You think about Bryant, you think about Army, you think about Hopkins this week. They're all one-goal games. One of them went to overtime. The other two, Syracuse had a chance to win in the last 30 seconds. So it's not like they're getting blown out. They're losing very, very close games.
2: Yeah, and you look at like the 0-9 season. Syracuse was dead, and it won Cornell in a miracle. So it goes both ways. Um, And when you have single-elimination tournaments, it's Like if you look at the basketball tournament this year, Kentucky um, was by any standard the best team going into the tournament. Uh, had didn't play a, a bad game against Wisconsin, just got beat by a team that showed up really well and was good. Like they're probably better than Hopkins was, if you try to compare the two. But kind of a similar thing. And then today, uh, and this is kind of a weird comparison, but it just popped in my head. John Halahari had that thing where he said that. He was more concerned about getting eight guys into the NBA. And, and the thing, the point he was trying to make, and he didn't really succeed, I don't think, was that if you have that much talent in a team, you're going to compete. Um, I think Syracuse lacrosse is kind of the same thing. There, Syracuse lacrosse will bring in the Syracuse lacrosse level talent. It hasn't failed yet. has done it consistently. Um, and if you bring in the type of talent that Syracuse lacrosse does, you're going to compete. It doesn't mean you're going to win the championship automatically. It doesn't mean you're going to win every single game, but you're going to be there and you're going to be a factor. I think that if you're a factor every season in something, uh, I think that's pretty much the most you can ask because then you get randomness involved and, and then you just kind of hope that the, the randomness of sports uh, spit out your number every once in a while.
1: Well, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, both you bring up to football is, is definitely accurate. I know, Dan, you and I kind of uh, were pretty kind to, to Kay after everything was said and done during the college basketball season. It just seems like um, you know he survived three different eras of, of college basketball um, recruiting and success, and, and, and no matter what, seemingly been able to, to pull out victory after victory. As um, you lacrosse, I mean, yes, we have some distance between us and our last title at this point, but you know what? Like I, I, I don't think. And if, to be honest, if Hopkins wins it all this year, and please God no, but <laughs> if Hopkins wins it all this year, I think it actually legitimizes us um, a whole lot. Because you know, if it's an upstart like Denver, if it's a, if it's part of the new guard that wins it, then then those who think the sky is falling might have things to point to Um, if, you know, someone like Hopkins wins. I mean, it's almost the same as Syracuse winning in terms of, you know, the old guard versus the new guard, if the old guard can hang just as well. And it's really just a question of, like Dan pointed out, these one goal games and it's, we're not that far off. And I think that's what um, a lot of people are forgetting. It's, Lacrosse moves slower because of how it's structured. No one leaves early, everyone plays four years, SU has classically gotten the best players, central New York area has classically turned out some of the best players and they've all showed up at SU. Um so I, I think the adjustment there is even is even worse than it might be for whether it's Notre Dame football or Alabama football or Kentucky basketball. There's just a there's an adjustment mentally that, that has to happen. Um and I'm not always and I'm not entirely sure that the SU fan base right now has the ability to do so It's not a knock on them. It's just something that, that they're going to have to consciously try to fix. And I think we're part of that too. I mean even if even quietly, um, I, I think that we all kind of need to acknowledge change. It doesn't mean admitting defeat. it just means change. And, and if we can keep those two things separately, uh, I, I think things will be okay.
3: Yeah, and John, just to echo kind of what you're saying there, I uh, when I was in school back in 2008, I did a story for the D.O. on parody and lacrosse, which is looking even more so now than it was back then, but I, I got to talk to Don Starja from UVA about it, and um, he made some really good points that still ring pretty true today, which is that the top talent is still going to Syracuse and Hopkins and you know probably now Duke and u v a it's it's still going to those teams. It's the second tier talent that was always going to these second tier teams is now almost as good as the top talent, if not, you know, right there with them. and I think that's what we're seeing where these six to sixteen teams are now capable of knocking off any of these top seeds any day doesn't mean that they're going to go start winning championships left and right. You're still seeing mostly the old guard. Maybe, you know, you're thrown in Denver, but you have Bill Tierney there. You have Notre Dame, but it's not like they came out of nowhere. You still got really good programs in the final four because they're still getting the top talent. And that's why our expectation should still be championship because we can still be the best team every single year. It's just that the gap is so small now that if you fall off for one day, you're gonna get you're gonna get cut off. So you know I, that's just the new
1: reality here. I think it's a smart way to put it. Um, and we only have a couple minutes left. Do you guys have any other, any big picture thoughts? It doesn't even have to be related to either of these uh, larger topics we have talked about. Just anything in general um, about SU as we kind of head into. Um, a long off season, one that I'm trying to, you know, kind of fill with football stuff, at least for the time being, but, uh, obviously still some sports going on women's lacrosse in particular. Um, what do you guys think is going to happen there? Do you think that the women have it in them? Do you think that they are just, that women's lacrosse is kind of a buzzsaw where Maryland and Northwestern kind of control everything and. And that's really it. Um, so, how do you guys see this playing out?
2: Um, I mean, I'm far I'm far from an expert. I, I try to tune in for the tournament, and I've watched probably more this year than I have in the past. Um, it doesn't seem like this team's quite as complete as the last two or three teams. Uh, that being said, I think it's just a matter of getting to Maryland this weekend because. Obviously, that's been a, a team that's given us to a ton of trouble. They don't face them as uh, top of rivals anymore, but uh, they've been one of those teams that is not afraid to play as slowly and deliberately as possible. Um, I guess in the same way on the men's side, except the rules don't play well for the same level of it. But uh, I, I think they just need to jump all over Maryland if they really have a shot um, to go for the upset. But, you know, Syracuse has had a top two or three team for, for years now, this year, maybe they're not quite as good, but uh, if they, you know, it could be one of those things where they kind of needed that underdog thing to uh, to go for them, and and maybe they they go for the upset. It just seems like they're kind of due. So I, I don't I don't know that I'd pick them, but I think at some point they have to break through. They just they've just been too good to keep on losing every year. Um, so hopefully they can they can figure it out this year. I I just think. Uh, you just can't let Maryland get into a position where they can sit on the ball because they are more than happy to do that.
3: Yeah, I'll uh I'm gonna Larry Wilmore keep it one hundred here and uh say that <laughs> last year I tuned in for the Women's Across National Championship game because he said it. are
1: in
3: so broken um it's so slow it hasn't been some time it's just if they 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 don't play by the same rules the men do I'd just like to see them change that game entirely It's, it's disappointing to watch, but you know <laughs> they're due right I mean it would be kind of appropriate if in a season where they're not a top seven, won the national title. I mean I feel like teams do that all the time. Um, you know, you see great teams come and go and fail and you know, Syracuse men being, you know, seed and disappointing, it would be kind of appropriate for the women to go ahead and win it. But
1: I also know that, true that true. Brian brought the hottest takes, and <laughs> and as a
2: result. These takes were too hot, hot for us the football. broadcast in the podcast. Brian, did we lose you?
1: It appears maybe. Um, but I think that's as good a note as any to end it on. Um, obviously, go SU Women's Lacrosse. Uh, obviously, you all deserve it. It um, be great to have that program finally ascend to the top of the mountain when a lot of fans feel that SU lacrosse uh, on the men's side is just not there anymore. Um, but, yeah, for Brian and Dan, I'm John. You've been listening to Troy Noons is an absolute podcast uh, here on whether it's Blog Talk Radio or iTunes, whatever you decided to listen to us on. Uh, we appreciate it. Be sure to rate and review. It does help. And, uh, yeah. Go orange and stop doing stupid things. Athletic department.
0: At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's day with our incredible selection of jewelry from delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.